you're a recent newcomer to Elm Grove, this is a tremendous church. Uh, the Lord has always done tremendous things here. And if you're visiting today, you need to be a member here. You need to come during the invitation and move your letter to this church and go to work. I say that without hesitation. And uh, yes, they all, they've already paid me, but still, I'm going to put a plug in for the church. I noticed that you do the notes on the sermons. Uh, those of you that have ever done any lay preaching somewhere where they have this, uh, when I was here, back in the old days, we used to have a little blank spot in the bulletin. And the great thing about this is Sunday after Sunday, this comes back blank. Obviously, nobody got anything from your sermon. I don't know who did the custodial work way back then, but I'd get, we'd collect the bulletins that are left and everything. And there were two that I remember, and I think they're still home on my shelf. Uh, one Sunday, uh, this came back. Of course, it was part of the bulletin at that time. And they'd written down the first two or three things that I said, and the rest of the page was question marks. Just question marks. Somebody, what is he saying? What is he doing? So don't do that to me today. Just look interested. The other thing I have to tell you, I got one of these back, and uh, it was Monday or Tuesday, and the custodian, I don't even know who it was then, picked it up. And it was a note that had been passed back and forth between two, I'm going to say teenage girls, I'm very pro uh, teenagers, you know, but it was passed back and forth. It had the big cursive teenage handwriting. And this was in the middle of the sermon. They were passing the note back and forth. And it was two kinds of handwriting. And the first person said, I don't like my hair color. (laughs) That's true. And then in a different handwriting underneath came the response, why not? Response, I just don't like it. I'm up there trying to proclaim the gospel. And uh, then the response comes back, I think I'm going to change it. And the response comes back, what are you going to do? And the response comes back, I think I'm going to bleach it. Now listen for this. And the response comes back, oh, what color? (laughs) True, true story. I am not doing blonde jokes. I am not doing blonde jokes. Absolutely true. I'm going to get to Holy Scripture here in a minute. We got from Merdina, and Merdina has Parkinson's, as you know, and would send you her love. But we got this Amazon Echo. If you've, it's a wonderful device if you have a, a shop in your home and you, you can't use your hands. It's a great wireless radio and reads books to you and everything. And we asked, uh, and her name's Alexa. That's the code word. You say a word, and she comes on and says, what's the weather in Murray? Or read Scripture to you or reads the latest novel. What do you want? It's a marvelous device. Uh, but I said, Alexa, tell a blonde joke. And Alexa came right back and said, those are not appropriate. <laughs> well, I have been properly chastised. My goodness gracious. I am, uh, if you're Facebook friends with us, you know that I'm always complaining about keeping up with the, uh, the age of technology. I'm not doing very very well with that. We had an Amazon return. I told my Facebook friends the other day, and this is really awesome. We had an Amazon return the other day, and Amazon, I'm not pushing them, but they really do a good job. I went to UPS here in Murray, had the Amazon label that they just, you push a button, run it off on your printer, put the label on the box, went to UPS with the Amazon return, was home 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, had an email from Amazon. They'd already credited the, the amount back to my account. Woo, I am not, I am not used to that. My goodness. Second Peter at chapter three, 
Uh, and I'm in the King James this morning. May read a little differently than yours, but I think you're going to get the fire and the feeling of this. A number of us who do interim ministry, and I've just finished up a fabulous nearly year and a half down in Henry County at per year at North Fork, and you're related to everybody down there because they all know you. You know, when you do, when you go to West Tennessee, Northwest, uh, West Kentucky and everything, they all know each other. They're, you're all related and they're all fantastic people. But, um, I was talking with two or three of my friends who do interim work and folks, this is scary to me because the Lord has put on our hearts the same message. I have a friend in East Tennessee does interim and supply work as I do. Friend near Nashville, interim and supply, East Kentucky down near Hazard. And we're just in touch by email. Man, we are getting the same message. And that is Jesus Christ is coming soon. I am serious. Now, I'm not sounding preachy, but Brad and I, and, and I was very honored to serve on his doctoral committee, and we're very proud of everything Brad's done. Love him. And we were talking the other day, and, and, and I said, well, what, you want me to go in a certain direction? Brad said, no, just let the Lord lead. And he always does that. He's very gracious, and I love him for that. But I had, Merton and I were having prayer about it. Where do we go Sunday morning? And boom, it just hits me. Tell them I'm coming soon. I wouldn't stand in God's house and tell you a whopper like that. I wouldn't do it. And there's a hundred million reasons. Just pick up the newspaper and you can see the Lord's coming soon. But I'm telling you, for those of us who do supply and fill in ministry, this is our assignment for this summer. I've, I've known several people. Same thing. Second, second Peter chapter three, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. These dear people thousands of years ago, just like the year 20 and 17, have forgotten something terribly important. And Peter says to them, I've got to stir up your mind to remember something. Verse 2. Don't forget, your Bible doesn't say that, your King James says, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Of course, talking about a Messiah, talking about Jesus coming. And the commandment of us, the messengers, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, verse 3. Knowing this first, now this is top priority for Peter. He says, I'm putting this first, that in the last days, and folks, we are in the last days. That in the last days, scoffers, your Bible might say critics, your Bible might say adversaries to the gospel, scoffers. I'm that anti-Stephen Colbert. They say he's an award-winning talent, and I'm not being critical of him. But the other night in a little blurb I was surfing, he came on anti-establishment, anti-good, anti-God, anti-everything. And they say he's a brilliant mind. And I'm sure he is. And everybody's anti-everything now. And this is a fulfillment of scripture. That in the last days, scoffers walking after their own ideas, your Bible might say like mine, their own lusts, their own desires. And the big thing, verse number four, the big thing they're saying is, where is this Jesus that you Christians are always talking about? 
Now your King James says in verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers all fell asleep, which is a biblical description of death, you know, falling asleep, they're alive in the kingdom, but their body appears to be asleep. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Let's pray together. Father, for a few minutes this morning, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you might open our eyes, that we might see and unplug our ears, that we might hear. And Father, tear the barricades down from our hearts, even we Christians, that we have built slowly, secretly, to keep you from being the Lord, to keep you from being the CEO, to keep you from being the absolute boss in our lives. We want to stay in control, Lord. We know that. We don't want too much of you, just about a cup like a cup of coffee. But Father, today, do a great work in our hearts and help us catch the fire of the reality that in this day and age, the word of God is being fulfilled like never before. And help us be a prepared people with a prepared heart and a saved spirit and an energized mind, energized by the word of God. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may remember from several years ago when we had a chance to be in interim together before Brad came, that I often spoke of the fact that I was raised effectively by my grandparents. I don't know if any of you are or being ministered to by grandparents or you're ministering to your grandchildren, and it may seem like it's, it's not bearing fruit. It will. It will. Trust me on that. Any role that you grandparents play in the life of that grandchild, you're sowing a seed. God will germinate that seed. It's going to grow. Trust me on that. I'm not going to get into that now. We talked about that years ago. But I'll never forget being a teenager and my grandfather set me aside once. Vietnam was hot and furious and I'd gotten my draft card and we, he was my prayer partner. And he said, Jimmy, when I was your age, we used to have in our house a magazine on the old coffee table north of Chicago. A magazine about 1916, 1917, 1918, before he was drafted, called The Christian Century. And he said, Jimmy, in 1916, this magazine, The Christian Century, was looking ahead through the 20th century. It was going to be a century of progress. It was going to be a century of enlightenment. It was going to be a, sen a century of scientific achievement. It was going to be a century where the unlimited good in men and women was going to bear full fruit and flower. And he said, in about 1915, we thought anything was possible. The Christian Century is still around today. But in those days, it was the magazine that said, ain't nothing bad going to happen in the 20th century. And then my grandfather looked at me, and I remember his words so well. He said, then I spent five years before, during, and after World War I in the Navy on a warship looking for submarines. It was a deadly business. 
And then he said the stock market crashed. He said, I lost all the retirement I had. And then there was the Great Depression. And somehow the Christian century seemed to be fading away. And then the Japanese invaded Manchuria. And then we were drawn. And there was Pearl Harbor. And then there was World War II. And he said, Jimmy, we barely finished World War II before here comes Korea. And then we barely get out of Korea, but a place called French Indochina that ended up being called Vietnam. I talked with a young person the other day. They've never heard of Vietnam. I think that's a crime against American history. I really do. I'm not being critical of the teachers. I'm not. But I, I just think, it's, I think, it's, I think that's wrong. But my point is, during the middle of the Vietnam conflict, he passed away. But before he passed away, I said, Granddaddy, have you lost your faith in God? He said, no. He said, you know what my prayer is now? In the middle of this Christian century, this was the early 70s. I said, what is it, Grandpa? He said, it's come, Lord Jesus. He said, I'm praying for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. And he died with that prayer in his heart. I'm praying for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. Since then, you and I have seen the Gulf Wars. We've seen Afghanistan. We've seen one thing after another. We've seen a recent stock market crash. It was a downturn. They didn't want to call it what it was. And we've all survived that. And now, the other day, the man that we used to make jokes about... The CIA people, you read this in the paper, said that he's developed his aim, he's developed his technology, and now he can shoot stuff to Alaska, and they're saying it without a smile on their face. They're deadly serious. If ever there was a time in history when we need to be praying, come Lord Jesus, folks, it is now. You read the other day, I think it was a Scientific American. Where, and, and you hear this on the news, that never before in world history do we have the capability to not, and we're going to talk about this, the elements being destroyed by fire. There is so much atomic weaponry out today that the elements all over the earth, the whole surface of the earth can be destroyed not once, but multiple times over. You've read that. And it's called overkill. And you read that in your college uh, civics class. You, you read these terms. The guy in North Korea, unstable is a compliment. Crazy is a compliment. He's just, he's, he's got his finger on the button. They don't know what to do with him. And the point is, we are in an era where Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. Folks, we need to be a prepared people. Well, Brother Jim, how come we've forgotten the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back? People today generally recognize three reasons, and I want to share them with you quickly. Number one. Why have we forgotten that Jesus Christ is coming back in power and glory? Reason number one, same old, same old. Life goes on. Life goes on. You and I have jobs to do. You and I have children to raise, grandchildren to relate to, jobs to go to, bills to worry about. I'm making the transition this month from normal insurance to Medicare. I'm excited about that. Somebody tell me you don't look 65. <laughs> You're not going to lie in church, are you? <laughs> you don't look 65, you look 85. I'm telling you. But seriously, all of this stuff going on, the routine of life. Look at verse number 3, 2 Peter 3, 3. There shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Verse 4. And here's what they say. Same old, same old. Where is the promise of this Jesus? For since the fathers fell asleep... Verse 4, same old, same old. All things continue as they were from the beginning of time. 
And that, that attitude even affects Christians. Dear Lord Jesus, I've got so many bills to pay. I'd like to be excited about the fact that you're coming back. But there is so much going on every day. I'm so glad you're coming back. But forgive me if I forget about that for a few minutes. And the Bible says they understand that even in the early church, Peter had to say in verse 1, I've got to stir up your minds. The other night, Mert and I were watching the old-time TV channel. And one of the stations that Murray gets on cable had Johnny Carson. Does anybody remember Johnny Carson? He was the grandfather on TV of Jimmy Fallon. Okay? It was Johnny Carson, and then who came after Johnny Carson? Okay, we've forgotten him, and now we've got Jimmy Fallon. Johnny Carson was on the old channel. And he looked dapper and beautiful. It was from the early 80s. They had the date on the screen. And I said, Murray and I don't believe. I said, you know, the kids were in preschool or something here in Murray and when this show was aired. My point is this. He did his opening monologue. He did his opening comedy routine. It was political uh, unrest. It was social unrest. It was financial upheavals in the world. It was stock market. It was crime in the streets. It was international turmoil. You could have taken that broadcast from the early 80s, put it on the TV last night, 20 and 17, and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed except a few political figures. The problems are the same. The Bible says the routine of life and us being immersed in the routine of life gets us forgetting about the fact that, folks, Jesus Christ is coming back. And it's my job as a preacher to to remind all of us he's returning in power and glory. And I want to share the second thing with you quickly. Not only is it the routine of life that gets us immunized to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, but also our love affair with science has replaced faith. Now, I run the risk of presenting an image of someone who's anti-science. I'm not. I'm not. I've got a daughter who's a pediatric nurse practitioner in Lexington. Many of you remember Emily. She's a sweetheart. I've got a son who's in a midlife career change, and he's at L Nursing School. So I am like 110% sold on all the benefits of modern-day science. But slowly and subtly... We have allowed the scientists to tell us when life begins. Slowly and quietly, we've let the scientists tell us when to snuff out life. I can't accept that. Some of you relate to LifeHouse, which is a fabulous ministry, and we were on the board for several years. They do a great job there, and I hope you support it. But the point is we're now letting the scientists tell us what to believe. When I was at Murray State in Baptist Student Union, as they called it in those days, I would have conversations with brilliant students. And I'm telling you what, they're smart over there. And if you're a Christian, you better know what you believe. And I had one wonderful young girl who was exploring biology major and everything, brilliant mind. And she said, well, Brother Simmons, what do you do about the Grand Canyon? What do you do about the Grand Canyon? That took millions of years to form. I said, I praise the Lord for the Grand Canyon. I've been there. You've all been there. It's beautiful. You need to see the Grand Canyon. But it took millions of years. I said, what you don't understand, I'm preaching now, but we're having coffee, talking quietly. I said, what you don't understand about the Christian faith is that our God creates things instantaneously. He speaks. And you have someone named Adam who's already a man when he's created. Boom. No passing of time. Instant man. 
And I said, you have the Lord Jesus Christ going to a wedding in Canaan, Galilee, his first miracle at a wedding, where he turned the water into wine. Boom! He speaks and the water's instantly turned to wine. I don't know what the fermentation process is. I don't know the science. Months and months, let's say. He didn't say to the wedding guests, come back in a year, we'll have some wine for you. God is not limited by the laws of physics. He works above and beyond space and time freely. Ask yourself sometime, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Let's say you have 15, 20, 30, 40 people Wednesday night and you're, you're joining your hearts in prayer and releasing the power of God on church members through prayer. How does God hear your prayer meeting and those of us down at per year and those in Murray, Kentucky and then in every state of the union and then millions of believers around the world and he hears everyone. How does he do it? All on Wednesday night, all at seven o'clock, let's say, because he's not limited by space and time. You want to hear some good news about that? When you commit your life to Christ and you say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me the sinner. Do you know what God does? Being not bound by the laws of space and time, he sees your life the beginning, the middle, and the end. He sees things you haven't even done yet. And he says, I forgive you for the sake of my son, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood on the cross. You're forgiven for everything past, present, and future. Is that good news? That's good news. Preachers keep telling you that. Why? Because God is not limited by space. He knows what you're going to do next month. And he says, I forgive you for the sake of my son, Jesus Christ. So I'm not anti-science. In fact, the greatest calling in life, in my opinion, next to being a preacher, because preaching deals with heaven and hell. I'm sorry, it is man's greatest calling because it deals with eternity. But the next one is to have that man or woman equipped with the power of God who has the training in the sciences and in healthcare and that missionary, that ministering physician. Murray has some wonderful Christians that are, that are in healthcare, and I thank God for them. That's a marvelous combination. But what worries me, the second thing, why have we forgotten the return of Christ? Is because we have allowed science to overshadow our faith, and the scientist is now telling us what to believe. Now, there's a third reason why we have turned our back on Christ. I read business journals because I don't know anything about business. I don't. And I spend my, my retirement time trying to get strong where I'm weak. And I read about areas I don't know anything about. I don't know anything about business. So I was reading this business journal. And it used a term that I had to look up because I'd never heard it. And it used the term hostile takeover. Apparently in business you can do something called a hostile takeover. And everybody's mad at you and nobody's happy about it. Well, you know what I thought to myself? Satan has done a hostile takeover of the church of Jesus Christ. There's a website called B-A-R-N-A dot O-R-G, Barna.org. And you know what they said last year? They said that these Christians who claim to have the eternal spirit of Jehovah God in them, these Christians who claim that they have the spirit of Christ who raised Lazarus from the dead and who walked on water and who healed the deaf and the blind... These Christians have no discernibly different lifestyle than pagans. None. The rate of substance abuse is very close to being the same. The rate of marital and family problems within just a few statistical points of each other. Where's the Holy Ghost power? And that's not me, that's Barna. 
the rate of problems, and then they then Barna dropped the bomb. The rate of termination of pregnancy, very similar between those who say they have the spirit of Messiah in them. Really? Really? And those who don't. There's been a hostile takeover of our hearts by the world. You read the other day, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, that the new drug of choice, the new drug of choice to escape the rigors of life for Christians is the Internet. The new drug of choice to escape our problems is the Internet. Think about that. That's not me. That is a secular news organization. The new drug of choice. Brother Jim, why aren't we thinking about the return of Christ? Because as Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, men, and he lists 20 things that's going to happen, 20 things. But he said in the last days, men will be lovers of self. And then they're going to be filled with greed and unrighteousness. And then they're going to have unnatural affection. But they're going to see themselves as being wise. You read the other day that the Archbishop of Canterbury said that the Church of England is now going to officially endorse unnatural affection in order to draw people into the doors. I think that's too bad. Because Paul wrote to Timothy and he said in the last days, two things going to happen to the church. There's going to be doctrines of demons slip in the door and seducing spirits. I didn't make that up. But there's been a hostile takeover of the church. And the only antidote to that, folks, is to get in the word, be in fellowship the way you are now, and say, keep your sins confessed up to date. And say, Father, guide me, thou great Jehovah, by your Holy Spirit. And you will not fall into that trap. Brother Jim, is Jesus Christ coming back? Look at verse 9. Very quickly. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And that's talking about him coming back. As some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, God is saying, I'm waiting for that decision from you. I'm waiting for that child in your household to be saved. I'm waiting for that friend at work at Briggs and Stratton. I'm waiting for that acquaintance of yours. I'm holding off on my return. I'm, I'm extending the deadline. My favorite words are, Mr. Simmons, we're extending the deadline. Thank you. God's extending the deadline. Now, does that mean indefinitely? No. Look at the first word in verse 10 if you're in the King James. But the day is going to come when God says enough is enough. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away. How? Well, with a great noise. Okay. Verse 10. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This is not Old Testament doom and gloom. This is the spirit of Christ calling out to his church. Let's get the job done. Let's get the job done. Verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. 
Where do the Christians fit in? Verse 11. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Brother Jim, I want to close on this. Why does Jesus Christ have to come back at all? I've just spent 20 minutes talking about the fact he's coming back. Someone says, why? First of all, he said he would. He said he would. God said he would. God's not a man that he should lie. God says something, he's going to do it. And that's good news. Isaiah 9, 6, Christmas passage. For unto us, a child is born. Oh, okay, that's happened. Unto us, a son is given. Okay, that's happened. Check that off the list. God's done that. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Oh, that hadn't happened yet, but it's coming. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's a great Trinity statement there, by the way. And of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. That hadn't happened yet. It's going to happen, folks. Are you going to be part of it? Raise your hand. You're going to be part of that kingdom that has no end. I am. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm looking forward to that day. But it hadn't happened yet. So one reason Jesus has to come back is very, very simple. He said he would. And there's another reason he's going to come back. And that's to stomp on the serpent. I don't know about you, but the devil's caused me no end of trouble in my life. Am I the only one here that's had to deal with the devil? I got a Facebook thing the other day. Might have been, I'm friends with everybody. If you're a preacher, everybody, let's let's be friends on Facebook with Brother Jim. Maybe he'll pray for you. Okay, I'll pray for you. So we're Facebook friends. Which one of you sent me a Facebook thing and said a rattler crawled into your bass boat? Swam out and crawled in. Must have been some other. Did you all read that? I get all the crazy stories. I said, that's fine with me. I'll preach on them. One of our, one of our Callaway people that's probably your third cousin, you know, I'm not, I'm from Chicago where we, we have people that are like rattlesnakes, but we don't have the real deal. Somebody was out there and a snake swam. I didn't know snakes, snakes could swim on water. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Had a rattlesnake swim in his boat. Put the photograph on Facebook. I said, well, I'm not going swimming there. The Bible says that one reason Jesus Christ is coming back, he said he would, he promised. Secondly, the Bible says in Romans 16, 20, that the God of peace shall soon crush Satan beneath your feet. I'm waiting for that day. I can't wait. He's caused you and me no end of trouble. Amen. Was furious that Christ came back from the dead. You know that. To defeat Satan. Third, to end pain. Look at verse 13. Chapter 3 at verse 13. Jesus Christ is coming back to end pain, to end suffering. You know our dear friend Brett Miles has about 10 different jobs. We love him so much. Pastors at Northside. Referees. Probably done revivals here. And then works at the cancer center. When Jesus Christ comes back cancer center not even going to have a sign that says help wanted it's going to be empty we're not going to need it and cancer has hit my family it's probably hit yours we say that with love and affection 
But Jesus Christ is coming back. And there's not going to be any more of this gang warfare, not any more of this cyber crime, not any more of hackers in Chechnya shutting down hospitals in England like they did last month by push of a keyboard. When Christ comes back, all that mess is over. Look at verse 13. I love this. Nevertheless, we, and that's Elm Grove Baptist Church, according to his promise, because he said so, are looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Folks, that is good news. That is good news. Now, finally, number four, the last reason. Why is Christ going to come back? He said he would. He's going to stomp on the devil. He's going to get rid of all the pain and suffering. And there's one reason that I really like. Jude, who's a wonderful writer in Jude 14, just one chapter, says, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's emptying out heaven. You know this. And he's bringing everybody back with him. Do you know I'm looking forward to that? I had a godly mother. You, you did. I'm sure you did. Grandfather shared his testimony, a man of God. They're all coming back. And there's going to be a time of reunion and rejoicing. The likes of which we cannot imagine. You heard this week about that helicopter in Mississippi. I want to say the number 16, the terribly high cost of Marines in training. And one of their wives, you heard her on the news the other night, said, whoa, talk about, whoa, powerful testimony about knock me down. She said, I'm going to see him again. I went, oh, Lord, bless that woman. Bless that woman. Because the Bible says the Lord's coming with ten thousands of his saints. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you today. Heavenly Father, between driving all over the country and serving churches and taking care of Merdina with her Parkinson's and wrestling with Medicare and all the related red tape and all this mess, I guess I am chief among sinners in getting so immersed, involved in the world that probably of everybody here, I'm probably the first guy that's been forgetting that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is coming back personally, powerfully, in great power and glory. Lord, forgive me, the sinner. And Father, I just pray today as we come to this time of invitation for anybody, young or old, boy or girl, man or woman, who in the privacy of this place, maybe they want to come forward and have prayer and say, Lord, forgive me for losing sight of the return of Christ. Maybe just in their seat. And they want to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I've been living like you're not coming back. I've been thinking like you're not coming back. I haven't been caring that you're coming back. Forgive me, Lord. And help me focus on the fact that my Savior draweth nigh. And Lord, we pray as a church this morning for anybody who'd say, Brother Jim, Elm Grove Church. I have realized I've never given my heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ready for his return. I don't have the hope of heaven when I die. I'm headed to the bad place as far as I know. And they'd come and say, Brother Jim, pray for me. Lead me in the sinner's prayer and I'll lead you in the sinner's prayer. We'll say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me the sinner. 
take my sins and put them on the cross of Calvary. And through your Holy Spirit, come live in my heart. Guide me in this world and into heaven when I die. And you can pray that prayer and you can go home a saved child of God. Lord, today we just put this invitation in your hands. And we praise you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Brother. Please stand.